Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. As seems to often be the case, Floridians are arguing about education policy. There's a dispute over the state's tax credit scholarship program. There's disagreement about the academic standards that children are expected to reach. There's even division over how to define who's a teacher for purposes of handing out raises. Today, our Tallahassee Bureau reporter, Emily Mahoney, joins me for an episode we'll call Education Controversy at the Capitol. This is the Tampa Bay Times Gradebook Podcast. Well, Emily, I want to welcome you back to the podcast. And yeah, I, I was going to save it for the end, but it's the last podcast. And so I really appreciate you coming around for this. You've been a great person to have conversations with over this period of time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's sad to see this podcast go. I always enjoy our conversations. Well, hopefully it'll pop up again in some other form or format. I know they're talking about doing that. And so it's not necessarily dead. It's just going to be dormant for a while. But let's make the last one a great one. Let's talk about controversies in the Capitol. And I think there's no better place to, to start than with um, vouchers. Go for it. <laughs> Tell us what's going on out there. There's been a big fight and you've been in the middle of it. That's right. Yeah. So this all started with um, essentially uh, an investigation by the Orlando Sentinel, which examined a bunch of different handbooks and other documents from private schools across Florida that accept the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship, which is essentially the voucher scholarship for low-income students to be able to attend a private school. And uh, that's funded through corporations that donate a, a piece of their taxes um, to this voucher program. And so they wrote this, this article, and, you know, there were a few lawmakers who were especially outraged, I think, by what they found, which was that, you know, I, upwards of 80 schools had explicitly written policies that allowed students to be expelled for being LGBTQ, um, and about 70 more had um, things in their handbooks that didn't necessarily say that students could be expelled, but said that, you know, being gay or being transgender was sinful and against or against their policies. And so uh, a few lawmakers were especially outraged by these policies and by what the Sentinel found and uh, started tweeting at some of the corporations who donate uh, some of their tax money to fund these voucher programs. Um, and, the, you know, the first kind of pebble, if you will, you know, in this story was when Fifth Third Bank, uh, which is a major bank that's based in Ohio, announced that it was going to be pulling its future donations to the program. Uh, and that was just late last week. I believe that was Thursday. Um, so... That happened, and it kind of started what has become a very fast-moving controversy up here, where it feels like every day, every news cycle, there's you know a massive amount of of development and debate that is getting kind of increasingly bitter up here. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, more companies have started to say that they won't donate in the future. Well, Fargo, for example, has been making a $10,000 annual, just a, just a philanthropic gift, not necessarily specifically to this voucher program, but they had been making a gift to the nonprofit that administers those vouchers called Step Up for Students, and they said that they would be pulling that donation in the future because of this. Um, you know, I think there's at least three more companies that come to mind that have also said, you know, we're not going to be participating in this anymore. It goes against our 
uh, internal company policy of not supporting anything that um, could be seen as discriminatory. So, you know, that has really set off a firestorm, the, this corporate response. And, um, you know, just yesterday, <coughs> um, a bunch of students who are currently receiving this voucher and uh, as well as a, a collection of lawmakers, mostly black lawmakers, had a press conference in the Capitol saying, uh, you know, when companies pull, pull their donations from this program, they're hurting students who are mostly black and Hispanic students because they come from low-income families. Um, and, you know, those students are being potentially harmed by this because they can lose their vouchers. Um, so what you're saying and, then is that there's a one form of discrimination against another form of discrimination and people are battling over it and and it's turning into, is it Republican versus Democrat or is it something bigger than that? Right, and so it's actually not really Republican versus Democrat. Granted, I will say that the, the two most vocal opponents of, uh, you know, kind of the status quo here who, who were the ones initially calling out on the companies to withdraw their donations were two of the legislature's most progressive Democrats, and that um, is Representative Ana Escamani and Representative Carlos Sierra Smith, and they're both from Orlando. And, you know, they really have been kind of singled out, I think, by the proponents of the voucher program as it is, um, but that includes Republicans and Democrats, like I said, especially black lawmakers, um, several black Democrats and Republicans were at the press conference yesterday who are saying that, you know, we need to pump the brakes on this. We cannot ask companies to withdraw their donations. Oh, and by the way, we think that, um, you know, that students are not actually being harmed by these policies. They're saying that there's not evidence that students have been expelled, even though these policies were, you know, written into these handbooks um, for being gay or trans, and that, uh, you know, that it also would violate a school's religious liberty. So there's a whole constitutional argument kind of hanging above all of this as well, because Representative Escamani proposed a bill that would, you know, she says it's basically a fix to all of, all of this entire situation, which is a bill that would just say that if you're a private school participating in the voucher program, you cannot discriminate against any student. And, um, you know, but, but opponents to that um, are saying that that's, not constitutional because it violates the private religious schools' uh, religious freedom. Right. Let me so point out there that I spoke. Going on here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to point out there that I spoke to Representative Masulo, who chairs the committee that Representative Escamani's bill would be the first point of reference, and his committee is not expected to meet again, and it hasn't taken up that bill. I asked him about it this morning, and he just said simply, "There is no impetus up there to tell private schools what to do." And he doesn't expect that bill to move. That's very interesting. Yeah, so that's basically the the main the controversy of the moment, I would say. It, it sucked a lot of oxygen out of um, the rest of the education discussion for the past few days. And um, it's kind of interesting, too, because it's not something we really expected to be talking about. I mean, the Orlando Sentinel had published earlier stories about, you know, kind of anecdotal evidence that some private schools participating in the voucher program had these kinds of anti-gay policies. Um, and, you know, lawmakers were talking about this last year. I distinctly remember Representative Smith bringing this up last year as an amendment to one of the uh, kind of big 
school choice bills that came up last year, and uh, you know it didn't really go anywhere. So it's 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 a really interesting and complicated discussion that we I really don't think anyone expected to take center stage like it has in this way, but it has I think pretty much because of the corporate response and the fact that you know now that there's a lot of money on the line, um, it is kind of forcing the legislature to really. Uh, directed full attention to it. You can't help but wonder what will happen if more corporations start pulling their resources out of it and the scholarship fund starts to dwindle. I know that when they didn't have enough money and they wanted to expand the program, they created the Empowerment Scholarship, which is fully funded by the legislature to the tune of $100 million. And if they're talking about raising teacher pay, which is another one of our controversies we'll get to in a second, uh, and they want to use 500 to 600 million dollars or more for that what would happen if they need to pull money for vouchers who would win (laughs) right well and that's kind of the question here and that kind of gets at the heart of the debate i think because the question really is um one of the things that the both sides of this argument really can't agree on is whether the money that's funding the florida tax credit scholarship is public money because it technically doesn't touch the state coffers at all. It is a, you know, a donation by a private corporation to a nonprofit that administers this scholarship. And, um, yes, that exact amount is deducted from their taxes, which would otherwise go into the public coffers. But, you know, in the way that this is set up, it doesn't really ever become quote, quote unquote, public money. And so, um, but like you said, I mean, if, those corporate donations were to go to away, go away. Theoretically, they would still be going to the state in the form of, you know, their corporate taxes, which the state could theoretically use under the Family Empowerment Scholarship, perhaps. And Representative Byron Donald told me yesterday that that's exactly what he would hope the state would do if there, you know, becomes kind of a hole in the budget uh, for these these vouchers. So I think this is just going to be a, a totally ongoing conversation up here, and it, it's not really showing any signs of going away anytime soon. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I found it super fascinating and, like you said, surprising that it happened at all. So it's a big one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's turn to teacher pay. Uh, The governor has called this the year of the teacher. Everybody's talking about giving teachers raises, but it doesn't seem to be as simple as that. And it's it's become controversial in several aspects, including who gets the raises, how much the raises will be, and what about bonuses in the whole process? The governor wanted bonuses. The House and the Senate seem to be saying otherwise. What are you hearing on that front? Yeah, that's been so interesting, especially after, you know, so many years of the legislature really having kind of a laser focus on bonuses for teachers, saying that, you know, it's not our job to set teacher salaries. That's what happens at the local uh, district level. Instead, we want to reward, you know, good teachers who perform well on XYZ metrics, and uh, we're going to do that through bonuses. And now it's kind of the flip side of that that we're seeing ever since the governor really directed the, the legislature to, yes, I want you to look at salaries. I know that this is not what we've done in the past, but, you know, because of that direction that the governor set, you know, the legislature is now saying, okay, salaries are the way to go. We've heard from teachers for so many years that the bonuses aren't working, and the governor says that the best and brightest was too complicated, so we're not even going to look at bonuses anymore. We've decided that it was basically 
a well-intentioned failure. And um, at one point in, in one of the, I think it was a Senate Education Committee meeting, Senator Anatary Flores, who's been in the legislature a long time, basically said, I'm sorry we got this wrong, <laughs> two teachers in the room. So it's kind of a, a really interesting 180 that we're seeing here. Obviously, the fact that they don't want bonuses is different from what the governor had said because he said he wanted teacher raises and a bonus. And that was because of, you know, something that you've paid a lot of attention to, Jeff, which is that, you know, veteran teachers were a little bit concerned that they would not see the benefits of uh, raising of the floor of teacher salaries because a lot of them are above that floor but still don't make enough money to really live. So, I mean, what have you observed about, like, the conversation of who will get a raise under some of the current proposals being talked about? It's really interesting because both the House and the Senate have really focused on that base salary level that, that the governor talked about, but they've tried to set aside a portion of the money, whether it's 20% or some other number, that they say could be used in other ways to serve raising salaries for other teachers who have be, gone beyond what that minimum salary is. And they'd still want to set some restrictions on it, like you have to raise the minimums pay by a certain amount in order to get there or something to that effect. But at, at some level, they want to try and put at least some money into that pocket of the veteran teacher. And then the question after that becomes, who is the veteran teacher? There's one proposal that still continues to focus on, on the whole idea that it's a classroom teacher, which is just a K-12 classroom teacher who's in there with students every day and ignores people like guidance counselors, media specialists, even pre-kindergarten teachers are not included in that. That was a problem that they had with Best and Brightest, the bonus that the legislature is poised to eliminate now. And it could come and rear its head again. Uh, one of the proposals says, let's expand it and allow the teachers and all the others to receive raises if the districts choose that they want to do so. The other one doesn't include that in its proposal, and so therefore that's going to be another point of debate between the Senate and the House. Who's a teacher and who who deserves that raise? So it's, mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating debate because, you know, we've heard for a long time, we've seen pre-kindergarten teachers come before the legislature and say, we're teachers too, please count us. So maybe they will this year. Who knows? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And in the category of things that aren't controversial this year, I just wanted to bring up the fact that school safety, for the first time since I've been in, in uh, Tallahassee since 2018, school safety is not going to be a giant fight this year, it seems. Um, you know, the House and the Senate both rolled out individual school safety proposals that they said were based on recommendations by the Post Parkland Commission and uh, the statewide grand jury. And there was kind of a big question mark with that because the statewide grand jury that uh, DeSantis convened to examine uh, district compliance with some of the laws they passed after Parkland, you know, that grand jury issued some pretty um, bold, I would say, recommendations in terms of allowing the state to even remove superintendents from office if they found that uh, their district was not complying with some of the laws that they passed after Parkland to have, you know, adequate armed security on campus, to have, make sure their campus is locked down correctly, et cetera. And, you know, the legislature didn't really take up some of those more bombastic recommendations. Um, it's, the both of the bills are pretty much, uh, tweaking the current statute, making sure that the sheriff has oversight over who receives 
training to be armed in schools and, and making some of these smaller changes. But it's just interesting to me that, you know, this is the first time that there isn't going to be some giant emotional debate about arming teachers in schools or arming other school staff. Um, because that's what we've had in the past two years in the fallout of Parkland, and it's kind of starting to whittle down to just the nitty-gritty details in the current law. But at the same time, they're not taking out those proposals which have been in place, the ones that made everybody so upset. They're just not talking about it right now. Correct, yes. So that that takes some of the, the emotion out of the room, but it still hasn't changed the perceptions on the ground. People still are very passionate about whether they want to carry guns. So that's a that's not gone away totally. It's just no longer a debate, I guess. Definitely, definitely. You know, there's also this debate about the academic standards and whether or not it needed to be changed in the first place. I'm going to put this under controversy in the Capitol because the legislature just yesterday received and began moving a bill that would change the way that testing is done, adding more tests while they're also subtracting some tests and taking away some of the flexibility that schools have that are performing poorly as the as the State Board of Education just sort of barrels towards what's an expected adoption of these standards that were released less than a week ago in their final form. Are you hearing anybody saying that you know they're moving too fast or that they should listen more or anything like that? Or is it really just sort of the way we need to go at this point and the way that we're headed? Uh, that's a good question. I think that there are there were some lawmakers in one of the House committees yesterday where that bill first kind of popped up um, that brought up some concerns with the standards, but the bill sponsor, uh, Vance Lupus from Miami, kind of assured them that he would take those concerns in consideration and make sure that he presents them to the State Board of Education. But I agree. I mean, the process is moving pretty quickly. Um, you know, DeSantis asked almost a year, just just slightly over a year ago for all this to happen. And, um, you know, they, they did the listening tour around parts of the state. They wrote up the standards. It took us a while to finally see the standards in their final form. Um, and like you said, they were just recently released. But it seems like... Um, you know, those are pretty much on a set track at this point. And um, I just, I do think it was interesting to listen to the conversation about the fact that the standards, at least the parts that the legislature needs to implement, um, would require all 11th graders to take the SAT or the ACT. Um, and the state would pay for it. But, um, you know, the SAT and the ACT have come under fire, you know, historically for um, having lower scores for students who come from poorer backgrounds, and there have there's been research that shows different kind of scoring gaps between genders and income levels and races, and so you know, kind of wondering how that will fit into everything, especially when those test scores, uh, at least as it stands now, would be tied to the way a school is graded, and you know that that's a pretty important metric for schools. Let me point out one other thing there. The SAT and the ACT have worked pretty hard to align themselves with the Common Core, which the state has said it wants to move away from. And so it would be really interesting to use a test that's aligned to the standards that we are throwing out. Hmm, definitely. Definitely. So that's definitely something we're going to be keeping our eye on as it uh, turns towards the state board. But um, like you said, it, it's 
coming to a close pretty quickly here. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, some of the other controversies that we expected to happen have sort of fizzled, like you said. I know that there was always this talk about this Bible course that they wanted to create and require high schools to offer. That bill's not really been heard and it's not moved. And there are other bills like that. Uh, I I always expected to, there to be more conversation about the bills relating to allowing students to take their state exams in their first language, you know, especially the English language learners. That's controversial. We wrote about the bill and I immediately got letters back saying like, Florida only does things in English. It's our adopted language. Learn it or leave kind of stuff. And so I expected there to be some sort of fight over that, but those bills haven't moved. There's not been much discussion on that. Are you finding anything else that's really heating up to, or is the, the voucher thing just really, like you said before, sucking everything out of the air? I think right now the voucher debate is really the centerpiece of education controversies up here. But, you know, this session's only about halfway over. Actually, I think we're about a week away from being halfway over. So I'm sure there's plenty of time for more controversy to erupt. And you know that we'll be covering it all the while. Ordinarily, at this point, I'd be saying we'll come back and have another conversation about it. But unfortunately, I'm not going to say that because... Like I mentioned before, this is our last podcast, and so thank you for participating with me. And, and if we want to read about these things, we're going to have to read about them or talk about them some other way. So, Emily, thanks, and keep doing the awesome work that you've been doing up there in Tallahassee. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been such a good time being on this podcast. And, um, you know, like you said, just because we won't be on here anymore doesn't mean we won't be paying attention. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. And by that, I really mean the end. The Tampa Bay Times has plans to revamp our podcast structure in the coming weeks and months. Part of that includes ending the Gradebook podcast and rolling education coverage into a new podcast that's currently under development. We expect to be back, but in a different form. Stay tuned to tampabay.com for the details. In the meantime, you can still keep up with the latest in Florida education news on our blog, www.tampabay.com slash gradebook. And please do keep in touch with your ideas, questions, and comments. My email remains jsolacek at tampabay.com. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast over the past two years. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun doing it and want to also thank everyone who has participated along the way. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this has been the Gradebook Podcast. Thank you.